Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. It's an honour to be a part of the Kingdom of God. It's an honour to take the moment to celebrate with each other what God's doing amongst us and to pause along the journey and to take hold of moments and celebrate the journey to this point. Rihanna and I had a moment to celebrate the journey to this point on Friday where we celebrated 16 years married. Pretty good. She's put up with me for 16 years. I may have forgotten that Friday was the 26th, but my wife is so gracious that she reminded me without looking down on me. Celebrated. We're not much for gift giving. We, we just enjoy hanging out with each other, but we did surprise each other with gifts. I did pretty good with a pendant this year. When it got me a pen. But it got me thinking about some of the wedding anniversaries we've had along the way over the last 16 years. Now, I remember our first one when we were living abroad in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And that at this time, Rhiannon was getting involved in photography. She was getting passionate about capturing moments and what God was doing in the nation of Cambodia and what we were involved in together. And we found out that in Phnom Penh at that time, a world-renowned British photographer was doing a one-day workshop. And so not wanting to miss the opportunity and after being in Cambodia for one year, we jumped on our little 125, uh, 125cc red rocket scooter, we called it, and we buzzed around with me there driving, Rhiannon on the back. I think the top speed was about 30 kilometres an hour. And we buzzed over to the central market area, which was the most popular tourist area in the city. And I remember dropping Rhiannon off and feeling really chuffed with myself that here I was celebrating our first anniversary in Cambodia. And I set up the most unique experience for my wife. She's about to have a workshop with a world-renowned British photographer. I said goodbye and I thought I'll just go around the corner, grab a coffee. And as I start the little red rocket and I start to take off, I noticed crouched in the bushes there hiding away was a police officer. It was on a radio. Now I know police officers will garner different responses with different people in different countries. But I'd learned in that first year in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, that the police officers, while most likely lovely people, really had it in for foreigners to the point where they would stop foreigners for any potential reason. You're not wearing the right helmet. What do you mean it's not the right helmet? It's fine. No, it's going to be $20. And I noticed there was a police officer hiding in the bushes. And I remember taking off thinking, I'm going to have to gun it. Now, I don't do this in Australia. I don't do this in Australia. But I'm preparing to gun it and then I see a whole group of about 10 or 12 police officers jump out from hiding spots on the street and they capture me in the middle of the road. Now I gotta say, I'm shaking. I'm literally shaking on the bike. What have I done wrong? What have I done wrong, officer? Show me your ID. Please tell me, what have I done wrong to garner this response? Show me your ID. And it just so happened that at that point in my life in Cambodia, I was not streetwise just yet. And I did the, t- the, the, the terrible thing that you shouldn't do in a nation like Cambodia. I was carrying my passport in my pocket. Now, I know they tell you when you travel abroad to do that. But in Cambodia at that time, carrying that passport in my pocket and when they asked for ID, I immediately handed over the one document that proved who I was in a nation abroad. 
And when I handed it over, they didn't even open it. He shoved it in his back pocket. And he said, that'll be $200. I didn't have $200. I was surrounded with 10 or 12 police officers looking to me for $200. Not so I could go. I was free to go. They had my passport. They had the one thing that could identify me as me in that country. So what would you do in that moment? I called my Cambodian friends, got on the phone straight away. Can you please help me? The first thing that was said to me over the phone is, Chris, why did you hand over your passport? And what resulted was a 45-minute negotiation that resulted in me talking it down from 200 to 150 to 100 to 50 dollars US so I could get that little blue booklet that has a picture of me some basic information and some stamps back so I didn't give up not because I didn't want to lose but because I needed the identification while I lived abroad that without it there was going to be huge difficulties for us living and getting things sorted But I'm reminded that for those of us in the Kingdom of God, we're not identified by something so simple as a passport. We're not identified by something so simple as a blue booklet with the picture and basic information and some stamps. We're not even identified by the fact that we carry a Bible or we have the app installed on our phone. That in the Kingdom of God, we're not identified by anything we can hand over. Instead, we're identified by the way that we live our lives. And it's the way that we live Daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, in circumstances and situations, in workplaces and wherever we find ourselves that actually identifies us as followers of Jesus. That it cannot be summed down so simply into something that somebody can take from us. But instead it's something that we show out of what God has done on the inside of our hearts. And the challenge I think is more than ever is to live the type of life that is able to be an identification that we are followers of Jesus in the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the pressure to at least compromise, to give up, to not press through, to not take hold of the calling that God has for us individually and corporately as Awakened City. And I feel stirred up more than ever that God is calling us as a people to choose, to choose to be identified by the way that we live. There's a letter in the New Testament to a church in a city called Thessalonica that the Apostle Paul wrote. And he wrote this letter after he had founded this church and he was forced to leave because of extreme persecution. And in leaving, I'm not sure what his thoughts were, but when he writes this letter to these people that he was forced to leave, he's amazed at their faith. He's amazed at what they've done. He's amazed that they're persevering even in the midst of their own extreme pressure in circumstances and situations that they have not given up. That they were identified, not just in their city, but word had gotten out to the other churches about this church that was thriving in the midst of a circumstance and situation that should have called them to shut up shop and give up. They were identified by some very particular things. And I want to share that with you. There's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 to 3. We give thanks to God always for you all, 
making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labour of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and our Father. Another translation I think captures it even deeper out of the Amplified. It says, recalling unceasingly before our God and Father, your work energised, your work, come on, your work energised by faith, your service motivated by love and unwavering hope in the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Saviour. See, that were a church that was identified by what they did and how they lived. Work energised by faith. Love being a core motivation and unswavering hope no matter what they experienced. In the midst of situations and circumstances that would cause many to just walk away. And their example still rings out to us today. What identifies us? What identifies me? What identifies you as somebody who chooses to follow Jesus? Is it our work energised by faith? There's something about being in an environment of faith. There's something about being in an atmosphere where faith is the default setting. The idea of faith in the heart of God, I think, allows us not just to... uh, take hold of Him and His Word, but to not accept limitations at any point. The faith in the Scriptures is unpacked in Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Jesus said Himself in John 14.12, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in Me will also do the works that I do. And He will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Faith identifies us. Not empty words, faith. Work energised by faith. When you're in that atmosphere, Scriptures come alive because we actually get to live in the reality of God. That God is not an idea, God is a reality. I remember in our process of Pressures of trying to fall pregnant. For years, Rhiannon and I had been praying and asking God for our firstborn child. And for years, we'd been disappointed, disappointed, disappointed. And we just weren't getting the breakthrough. In 2010, we're living in Phnom Penh, faithfully serving God, but carrying brokenness that was building up in our hearts, that we weren't getting the breakthrough. And I remember an amazing church released and sent over a team to serve in the nation of Cambodia that was doing works in the provincial areas, doing crusades and outreach events that were wide ranging and causing good reports to come back, a work energised by faith where people were talking about being healed, where people were talking about being set free from demonic oppression, where it was natural for people to be overwhelmed and overcome because there was work energised by faith. And in that atmosphere, I remember on this small team's last Sunday night, that they'd made a call for couples who had been trying to fall pregnant but hadn't been able to. And I grabbed Rhiannon's hand. And I gotta say in that moment, I still remember it freshly today. I remember it because we pressed in and we grabbed each other's hand and when we walked forward, we were walking forward to take hold of the promise 
that we were invited to. It was a work energised by faith. It took us taking each other's hand in agreement saying, we are not accepting the limitations of lack and loss. It took us putting our feet in front of the other and saying, we're gonna come forward in response to say, Lord God, You have a way, even if we can't see it. And when, when we received the prayer, we took hold of it as a promise and inheritance that God desired to pour out on us because it was a work energised by faith. Five weeks later, we found out that we were five weeks pregnant. I'm so appreciative of the team that came over that this church sent over Pastor Claude and Pastor Carolyn and they were the ones who prayed for Rhiannon and I on that day in the year 2010 and that our eldest born son, Liam Emmanuel Foster is right now out in Kids Church and he is a fruit of that prayer. That's the reality of faith. It's something we had to take hold of. It's something we had to press in. There were so many voices that were saying to us to give up along the way, but a work energised by faith takes hold of the promises of God. Let that identify us more than anything else that we carry. Let it bleed. The church in Thessalonica wasn't just known by work that was energised by faith. They were known by service that was motivated by love. Talking about service motivated by love, John 13, 34, 35 says this. Jesus speaking, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Pastor Claude unpacked this in an outstanding thought beyond Sunday that's on YouTube. In 1 John 4, 7 to 11, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His only one one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Love amongst our connect groups, amongst our teams, amongst doing life with one another, is meant to be an identification of a follower of Jesus. That love motivates us. Recently, I had the honour of praying and spending some time with a church member who very recently graduated to heaven. It's always an interesting thing as you drive into the hospital and prepare your heart to be there for these moments that you know, what answer can I give except for being there and doing whatever I can to share the love of God? I sat down with this lady and the sense of God's peace that was in that room was so present. And we talked about how she knew 
as she was preparing to enter into her inheritance. That now was her time and she had no regrets. That she felt like this was God's reward for her. And she talked with me about how only in the last couple of years she'd rededicated her life to Christ. How she'd been blown away through joining our prayer ministry team and being involved and seeing God move things through prayer that she felt for the first time ever she'd been activated to serve Jesus. She talked about that, but she also talked about the overwhelming love that she received from her connect group, from people who would just pour out grace on her, that she felt there was no room to be alone. In particular, there was a church member who's sitting here today who journeyed with her every step of the way and was with her right recently when she passed. Chris Stewart, I want to honour you for pouring out the love of God without measure, without seeking any reward except for what you could give instead of what you could take. There are so many others. It takes a family to build a church. Let us be known by our love, by the ability to press in and say, we are not going to allow pressures or situations and circumstances to cause us to neglect the fact that just as God has loved us, we are called to love others. Let our work be energised by faith. Let our work be motivated by love and let people know us through that. The last thing that Paul encouraged the church in Thessalonica about was the fact that they had unwavering hope. I'm convinced today that hope is the cure for anxiety. That we live now in a day and age where hope is desperately needed. That wherever we look, as people are losing hope, the fuel for life is being depleted. I'm convinced that hope allows us to take hold of the reality that God can make streams in the desert and a way even in the wilderness. I'm convinced that hope says that what is impossible with people is possible with God. I'm convinced that hope says what is, that greater is He that is in us, this is Jesus, than any enemy or any spiritual oppression that we could ever face. Hope founded in Jesus is the ultimate solution for so much that seeks to derail us. Hope is a reality. Hope is something that we have to take hold of. Hope is something that we have to remind ourselves of because there's so much that seeks to drown it out. You know, they talk about today that one of the greatest issues that we face is information overload. That it wasn't so much that our emotions are equipped to be so logged in and know exactly what's going on at all points around the world. And that often so much of the news that's coming out is so negative in nature that it's causing us to live in a constant state of overwhelm because we don't know how to switch off because there's something that God wide inside each and every one of us that we're meant to respond to our surroundings. But too much and too often our surroundings are in our head, the things that we're filling ourselves with and it's causing us to lose hope because our surroundings should be found in the Spirit of the living God. 
in accepting the fact that God has said that you and I are temples of His Holy Spirit and that He wants to fill us and influence us and take us away from things that will seek to distract us from the hope that He set apart. As we take hold of hope, an environment of hope is created where it just becomes natural. Our natural default setting becomes one that says God will make a way. Our natural default setting becomes one where it says things can be better, will be better, shall be better because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Hope says that God works all things towards good for those who love Him, no matter what. Hope is a living environment that we can contribute to and be a part of. And it can be something that identifies us as followers of Jesus. That we would be so known in our families, in our marriages, with our children, in our workplaces, even in terrible jobs. Even in environments where we daydream in the drive to work and from work, or even when we're at work about a new job, that we can be carriers of hope that refuse to allow the environmental pressures on us to cause us to live a life that is held back. But instead say, what can I contribute in this moment that advances the Kingdom of God? What identifies us? Is our work energised by faith? Our service motivated by love? Now, unwavering hope in Jesus. I'd love to invite the team to come up and join us. I don't know where you're at at the moment. I find that to be identified by these thoughts is a constant wrestle. I don't think the challenge is that we need to have these unlock ourselves. I think the challenge is that we need to learn how to receive these from Jesus directly. It's Jesus who gives us the confidence to have work energised by faith. It's Jesus' example that allows us to press in to relationships with a mentality that says, I want to give and I don't care what I receive in return. And if I could just share quickly that biblical thought of love. I don't know what you understand love as being, but that biblical thought of love that's unpacked so often throughout Scripture means to show kindness to one another. It means to be devoted to one another. Even people we don't like (laughs) to be devoted. And ultimately it means to be generous, which means we're not looking to take, we're looking, we're evaluating relationships by what we can give rather than what we receive in return. How can that not identify followers of Christ? The good news is that it's available. It's available not because us, it's available because of Him. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are right now, that you can receive everything that God has available for you. Because He qualifies you. He enables you. He empowers you. When I feel derailed, when I feel like I've lost track of the things that should identify me as a follower of Christ. It's an easy fix. Part of me feels guilty. I I wish it was more difficult. I wish I should pay more. 
give more, punish myself more. It's so easy and so simple that all I have to do is reorientate myself towards God and say, Father God, would you forgive me for losing track of who I'm called to be in you? And I receive Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. And in that, there's opportunity to be filled with the Spirit of God and then to live out again that identity that we can have as a follower of Christ. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.